1: Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle podcast on a Tuesday. We're talking more USC football this week, we had Coach Harvey Hyde on yesterday. we got the great Dan Weber on today, talking of course about USC football. Fall camp starts in a couple of days. Thursday, uh, USC fall camp will kick off, so we want to talk to Dan about that. We have a lot of questions, you guys. A lot of people wrote in questions for Dan Weber, so we'll talk about all the different USC football topics that you guys Want to hear about it? If you have any questions for us, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. You can leave a voicemail by calling 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. On the left side of the page, you can leave a voicemail right from your computer or device. You can uh, subscribe on iTunes. We have our own URL, itunes.com, slash peristylepodcast. We're on Google Play. We're on Audio Boom. We're on Stitcher. A lot of different ways you can consume the show. Hope you guys are enjoying it. And uh, we got to do try to do a lot this week. Um, lots going on around the USC football program. Dan Weber's put up a couple of uh, really good in-depth previews. One for the offense, one for the defense for fall camp. I'm starting to put up videos of each position group, so you can check those out. The the quarterbacks and running backs are already up, and we got more coming. Uh, we'll have them over for the next couple of days. Gerard Martinez is working on our Fall Camp Central page on uscfootball.com, so all of the content we create will be on one page. You can, If you miss a couple days or something, you can come back and check out everything you missed. We'll have wall-to-wall coverage of Fall Camp with Dan and myself and Shotgun and Gerard and Keeley. I uh, will have different photographers out there, Tim and Mike Richardson and probably Brian Rothmuller, so a bunch of different guys. A lot of different ways we'll be covering the team. So I hope you guys are ready for that because we're ready, Dan. Are you ready for Fall Camp? It's just about here.
2: No, I can't wait, absolutely cannot wait.
1: It's uh can't
2: get here soon enough
1: no, it's, it's it's like the summer, I felt like the summer was pretty quick, uh with the workouts and stuff the way they kind of broke it up, but man, just it's like gonna be here, pads, numbers, helmets, all that kind of stuff We're just it's been a while since we've seen it,
2: yeah, and then you know to have the uh the opening game against Alabama's. <laughs> I guess Alabama's is uh, defending national champs. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. So this is about as, uh, as good as it gets, I think. And with the sense that maybe this is the, the turnaround year, the getaway from all of the, you know, T. Carol Levin, the NCAA, you know, all the scholarship limitations, all that, that this might be the year where you're, you're more like you think USC football ought to be a lot of questions, a lot of unknowns, but, uh, but just that thought that maybe this is the year that you get back to a sense of uh, they can be as good as they can be.
1: Yeah, uh, a lot of questions, a lot of questions about this team, and we'll try to do our best to answer all of them, so when you guys send them in podcast at uh throughout the fall camp and everything we'll We'll tell you what we see, our observations from talking to everyone. We'll try to answer as many of those questions as possible. We probably won't know. Until September third when they kick off, like Dan said, against Alabama. But we'll try to answer as many of those questions as we can heading into fall camp. One thing you don't want to question, Dan, that's your underwear. Yes, I want to I want to talk about Mac Weldon, uh, real quick before we jump into the show. So they've been a great uh sponsor for the Peristyle Podcast and uh check I got to check out their stuff. So go to MacWeldon.com, uh menswear, underwear, uh get some sweatshirts, socks, things like that. So check it out. Um, I, everything I got from there, I love. It's like my favorite thing in the drawer for whatever item it is. Um, it's basically better than whatever you're wearing right now. So if you want to upgrade, uh, your underwear game and, you know, your t-shirts, things like that, check out Macwell then They'll give a t- pair of stop, uh, podcast listeners 20% off. So go to MacWeldon.com. It's a really easy shopping experience, which I like. You can go in there, find everything you need. It's not this huge menu of items. There's a, you know, there's cool stuff that they have. Go check it out and you get 20% off. Um, so it's, uh, it's stuff where you're just really comfortable. I love playing, uh, sports in them. Um, the, the t-shirts are the greatest. They just, they just fit right. They're not like pulling at you and stuff. Uh, so definitely go check it out. The, uh, the silver underwear line and shirts that they have, uh, they're antimicrobial, which they eliminate odors uh, naturally. So that's kind of a cool feature too. So, um, I just really like it. If you want to check it out, uh, go to, go to Macwellton.com. It's real simple. Use the promo code peristyle. And you'll get 20% off. So I don't want to thank, thank Mac Weldon for uh, being a great sponsor of the podcast and, uh, open my eyes. I used to just go to the big box stores and, and get whatever, uh, you know, 12 pack of underwear. And I'm definitely not doing that anymore. So check it out. Um, if you get a chance. All right. Uh, Dan, lots to get to. Uh, so many questions people have been writing in, um, about what's been going on. And one of the questions that came up on the peristyle. And our buddy Neil from Manila wrote in too, um, about the same thing is, you know, people ask about injuries a lot and we get to see these guys all summer. That was really well attended. Most everyone showed up. We got to talk to a lot of players, kind of get updates on things. So Neil wants to know, uh, could you guys give a brief injury report and what injuries could have an impact on USC season? Uh, love the show as always. Thanks and fight on Neil and Manila.
2: Well, uh, We haven't seen Cameron Smith all the way back yet, you know, with his knee surgery. uh, It's pushing, you know, the envelope just uh, for him to be back 100% for the Alabama game. Not saying he he won't be. uh, They certainly uh, seem to be planning for that to be the case, but he might be the one one lingering one that looks like Toa has been pretty much released, uh, and he's, uh, alternating with Nico Fowler at center. So Toa Lobanon coming off his knee surgery, uh, seems to be back. All the other surgeries, uh, uh, let's see, Chris Hawkins, uh, foot, ankle, uh, looks good. Achille Ross's shoulder, um, bum, bum. I'm trying to think if there were, uh, I guess, uh, uh Matt Lobe. He had some uh, work done on his foot, uh, so those guys all seem like they're going pretty good. Uh, Jamel Cook probably I would think might be the most impacted. Uh, had a, a broke his foot in the summer, was was in a cast for a while, then in a boot. Uh, the other day we saw him for the first time, not on his cart. So I would think he's uh, he's probably got a long way to go to get himself back. Uh, we've also seen uh, bum bum. bum all batuku uh, rolled his ankle, did something to his ankle, was in a boot for a while, uh, not in cleats, uh, for a while. So we, we haven't seen him out there as much in the 11 on 11. So he may be behind a little bit, but other than that, um, I, I don't, you might be able to think of somebody. I, I, I don't think of anybody else. And, and I don't think there are any of those that except for cook that, uh, who uh, might be a candidate for a red shirt, you would think, at this point. Uh, I don't know that there's anybody else that we're, you know, holding, you know, in the back and saying, uh, is there a chance they won't be ready? Uh, I mean, I think they think, I mean, uh, even Kenny Bigelow, uh, who, you know, got injured in the spring, is, you know, moving around without a limp, no, uh, you know, no brace on or anything, and you know, you got to almost asking every time you see him and said, "Is there any chance you could come back?" And he kind of gives you that shrug, but uh, he looks like he's having an, an unbelievable rehab. But uh, but that's pretty much, I think, uh, you know, where things stand right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, with the, we talked about on the peristyle on the message board. Just, I mean, there's there wasn't some. Anyone blowing out their knee and summer workouts and they're out for the season. There just wasn't anything like that. So relatively healthy numbers wise. Uh, we're counting 82 guys on scholarship right now. Um, you know, with one former walk on. So 81 recruited uh, athletes on the roster that were, you know, recruited and given scholarships, uh, including a couple of blue shirts. So, I mean, I think that of the last five years or so, I mean, it's probably the healthiest and deepest overall roster. I'd say going into fall camp that I can remember.
2: Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, the combination of both numbers and health. Uh, and so, so both Stevie, uh, Tui and, uh, I guess Michael Brown are counted in that 82 number, the two blue shirts.
1: Yeah, I do. I have those counted as as the blue shirts. Yeah. So, uh, we, we won't, those guys aren't officially listed yet, right, Dan? Because of the, yeah,
2: they can't be. Yeah. Yeah. But then, uh, uh, so that does give them still some flexibility for roster uh you know positions if they uh you know choose to give out scholarships uh during the uh you know August camp if they if they choose to do so before the uh the season gets here they've got some uh, got some flexibility
1: Um okay so we have a question from John Brea. he says thank you for the fantastic work you did all summer to keep us informed about the PRPs recruiting and of course what underwear you prefer when working out thank you for that John Uh, I'm excited for fall camp and to find out what type of team you think USC will be once they put on the pads. So this question's for Dan Weber. You think Clay Helton is more likely to be USC's version of David Shaw or a a repeat of Paul Hackett? Thanks for all you do. Beat the Tide, John and Brea.
2: Well, I kind of knew a little bit about Paul Hackett. And uh, Clay Helton is no Paul Hackett, to quote somebody from a presidential debate or a vice presidential debate once. But uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, David Shaw would be nice. <laughs> yeah, if you could uh, – and, and people weren't that sure about David Shaw uh, immediately. Um, he had a lot of talent and uh, and all of that, but, uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh was Jim Harbaugh. And um, you weren't really sure. And, and, and obviously David Shaw has just picked up momentum and has and, and, and gone – in places that jim harbaugh didn't go and done it you know long enough to have really done it on his own so you know if that could be you know the way it ends up uh, i mean that's certainly uh you know something to look at and say you know let's figure out how we get this going uh and, and make this our program and put our stamp on it and some of the things that david shaw made work at you know sanford uh you know clay helton is Is You know, that's where they, you know, USC wants to go. The whole, you know, emphasis on physicality again, the run-first ability of an offense. uh, The beauty is is if you can pull that off at USC, you also probably have a little more opportunity uh, at positions, you know, like wide receivers and, you know, uh, uh, secondary guys and things like that to be able to do some more things maybe than Stanford, you know, can do. Stanford is blessed unbelievably, you know, with, uh, say, a quarterback talent like Andrew Luck or then now Christian McCaffrey. But, yes, you know, if they can incorporate some of the stuff that Stanford uh, has certainly been able to do under David Shaw and then put their own brand on it, which I think Clay is kind of tied in, you know, in terms of understanding – uh, a lot of things about the USC tradition, I think it'd be, you know, a, a great way to go. Can they get that, high? you know, you might as well shoot high. Uh, that's, that's certainly what they would be shooting for. Uh, can he pull it off? I, I think <clears throat> we'll find out a lot this year. I think, you know, what they've done in the off season, what they've done in spring, what they've done this summer, uh, the way they've shaped the staff says an awful lot of good things. Are there questions? Sure. You look at the last four games of the season. You look at Oregon. You look at uh, Stanford championship game. You look at uh, Wisconsin. Uh, you know, compared to say the UCLA game, and you got to you, you know you can have some questions. And, and obviously there were issues with that staff and you know with the program. I I just watched yeah, last night for some reason I was watching the Pac-12 Network uh, and it stopped me. I'm flipping through. And there's the U.S.C., uh, UCLA game from last year. And you realize the Trojans hit a lot of of shaped players. They had a lot of guys carrying a lot of weight. And, uh, there was a lot of sloppiness, uh, just the kind of stuff we're not seeing in the summer. So that's a start. I just saw, uh, uh, Zach Banner tweeted, he's down to 345. He's thanking everybody, you know, that worked with him. Because I remember, we talked to him after that Stanford game and he was 380 plus, and he's, uh, he got a different look about him. Uh, you drop, you know, 10% of your body weight. And, uh, 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 so if, if they could keep on that path, you know, where they're, they're leaner and fitter and, you know, they, they don't look like they're making the kinds of mental, uh, errors this summer that we saw all too often, you know, last fall. So, you know, I think they're moving in the right direction. We'll see. This is a heck of a you know, a schedule for a brand new coaching staff to, you know, step into. But they've got they've got a decent amount of talent. They've got a chance.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um all right, let's move on. Let's uh we got Sergeant Rodney. Um he's in uh Fort Lewis in Washington for the US Army. Thanks, uh, Sergeant. For writing in, he says, what's going on boys? Love the podcast. Cannot get enough of it. You boys really know how to report, uh, good quality USC football information to Trojan fans everywhere. My question is this. After watching all of the PRP and PRPs and seeing the depth increase, how much different will USC be this season compared to the last few seasons? I did a little digging and found out that teams like Oregon, Stanford, ASU and UCLA top 50 recruit slash players in their program. Uh, came from the 2009 to 2015 seasons. Do you think that those teams had so much success because those were the kids that got away from SC because of sanctions and they went elsewhere and made a difference to those other programs' success? Now that USC is recruiting again and the other team's recruiting is starting to drop, do you guys think USC will start to make its way back to the top of the pack real soon? Thank you guys for all you do. Uh, sorry for the long message. Look forward to hearing from you. Fight on, Sergeant Rodney.
2: Hey, Sergeant. Hope you make it to the uh, Washington uh, game this year, uh, up in your uh, your neck of the woods. Uh, yeah, I think it, it 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 definitely helped the other schools. I don't think there's any question about it. Those were thirty, you know, players available over those years, and uh, and no question, uh, that was a factor. It also made USC go into those games with uh, way fewer players than than those programs had. So. So on both ends of that, yeah, that was a factor. I mean, I think all those programs are doing a better job now. I think everybody's working hard at it. I think everybody, you know, the, the coaching staff has improved. The money that they're paying coaches has improved. The facilities, uh, you know, around the league, you know, have all improved. So, uh, you know, will it ever be, you know, USC and the, you know, 11 Dwarfs or whatever it was, the nine Dwarfs before? Uh probably not but i'm thinking if i were the uh, pac 12 i would like to hope that usc uh gets back to you know it's kind of usual place uh, among the say top 5 i just saw the ap uh came out with the uh top 100 programs over the i guess since 1936 ap uh, 80 years uh, ap uh polls and they, they listed the top five programs of all time. They had a formula for, you know, number of championships and number of years that you were listed in the poll. And the top five programs of all time were, uh, Ohio State, uh, blah, blah, blah. Ohio State, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Alabama, and USC. Uh, and, very close, you know, with different teams having different amounts of success in different areas. But, uh, but I think you know, if I were the Pac-12, even though they ran like crazy away from USC, uh, if I were the Pac-12, I'd kind of want USC to get back on top uh, and, and become that kind of staple, you know, staple in the uh, college football playoffs. I think that would be a you know very very really good thing for the league as a whole, and I know for USC fans, that's that's what they're hoping for. So I think they've got a chance. I mean, I think you know, it's hard. I don't know if you saw the colon, you know, Calhoun uh, piece in the other day. When he acted as if he were recruiting against the other eleven programs in the FCC or in the SEC, in the uh, Pac-12, acted as if he were a USC coach. And within like a half a sentence against each one of them, he made the case about why a kid would go to USC over any one of the other schools. And it was, it was hilarious, and it was true. And uh, he made it, you know, look easy in terms of, uh, you know, how USC can recruit against the rest of the league. And, and it's true. They can.
1: All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's see. I'm going to go to John in Pasadena. He has a couple ones. Uh, he says, love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Two questions for Dan Weber. First one is, who are the three incoming freshmen and three returning players who didn't start last year that you are most impressed with from summer workouts?
2: Three who didn't start last year. Uh, and a lot of, you know, yes, he's got, for example, I like, think, uh, nine guys on defense who didn't maybe finish the year as starters, but who have started. So, if we go to the guys who maybe haven't ever started, uh, might be Osa Messina. I'm trying to think if I've got these the right. uh, Hampton possibly uh, as guys who are returning non-starters but have looked awfully good uh, in the summer. Uh, well, <laughs> Max Brown, I guess. Uh, yeah. And, uh, if you want to put him in a you know a tie with with Sam, uh, I would think I'd put Max a little ahead, but but that's probably where I would go in terms of guys who, you know, haven't started, but, uh, have a chance to be, uh, be really good, uh, and, and, and very impactful. most of those guys, for example, like Quentin Powell, he started, Michael Hutchings has started, uh, you know, Elijah Tucker has started, uh, a lot of those guys have, you know, have started, uh, you know, a time or two or even, you know, even more, uh, And I think he he asked for the three freshmen.
1: Yeah, three freshmen
2: also. Uh, I I would think Jack Jones, uh, you know, he's awfully athletic, unbelievably athletic. Uh, and, And translating that to college football immediately, I mean, sometimes you trust your athleticism and maybe it betrays you because you're playing against really good players. Right now, and maybe some of the things you've always been able to do because you're by far the best athlete on the field, and you still may be one of the couple of best athletes on the field. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. So, so that's an adjustment. Uh, hmm. We've seen some really outstanding stuff from these freshmen. I mean, uh, uh, one day you go out there and Pi Young is not only, you know, batting down three straight, you know, passes but uh but doing the triple backflips and matching a dory you know and you think whoa this kid you know this kid's an athlete or or we'd see vealus jones take off uh on a couple of plays where he usually gets to put it in high gear and you think oh um uh, wow that's impressive uh, uh, let's see i'd like to see more and we haven't as much as of EJ price uh he certainly looks the part uh, in terms of, of an athletic offensive lineman. And if he is truly 6'6", 325, and sometimes that's hard to calibrate because he's often standing next to Zach Manor. Uh, but uh, he moves awfully easily for a guy, you know, that big. Uh, it's not easy for a freshman. A true freshman just gets in in the summer to, uh, to have an impact as an offensive lineman. But he might have a chance. Uh, uh is this one other uh I think I, I was really impressed with Jordan ASEF. Uh again, uh, you know, not a, or not at a position of, of a great deal of need uh at linebacker, inside linebacker, but uh, he's got some birth and uh you know a, you know, good looking athlete. Uh but I'm just guessing on the freshman. I mean so much of the freshman depends on other players at that position and, and what happens and, uh, they're just, you know, if you're a defensive back or a wide receiver, man, there are a lot of people ahead of you <clears throat> to work through and how that all plays out. I mean, you might be, you know, really, really, uh, ready to go, but if, uh, you know, there are six or seven guys ahead of you, it, it, you know, it doesn't always have to happen. And I'll be interested to see how they manage, uh, There's two positions where they're just a, a, a whole lot of talent.
1: And then his second question from John in Pasadena, he said, when Max Brown first came to SC, the initial evaluation was that he had a very strong arm, but too long of a delivery. It appears that the recent spring game and videos from summer workouts that the new coaches got Max to tighten up his mechanics, which is good. However, the adjustments appear to have reduced Max's overall velocity and the effectiveness of his long ball. Do you have a similar take? And you think this is a major factor in the quarterback competition? Thank you from John in Pasadena.
2: John, you might be see, seeing something that I'm not seeing. <clears throat> I, I don't notice any difference in his long, the long ball. I, I mean, he throws it easily, and that's one of the things he's always done with the long ball. Is he doesn't have to throw it like he's in the uh, you know javelin in the Olympics. He just has a very nice, easy way of of, of throwing that thing. So no, I don't think he. I do think he's gotten on top of the short, <clears throat> short ball. I think he really drills it much more and more of that compact, uh, oh, throwing it like a, a, a baseball catcher, for example, from, you know, the top of your ear and, and getting on top of the ball and, and throwing it through people into, you know, tight windows. Uh, I think he's he clearly, as you say, uh, he's worked on that and that's been a, been a real factor. I do think he's cut down the, you know the long delivery. I didn't ever, you know, see that as as a big a problem. It's just some of the things you can do in high school that you can't do in, in, in college. And I, I think he, he pretty much cleared cleaned that up himself, uh, and, and as Max would, would have the ability to do. But uh, but I don't I don't think he's lost anything off his uh, I don't know if you'd call that his fastball, but his deep ball. Uh, uh, we're seeing more deep balls, I mean, I think they know they've got a chance to throw that those deep balls this year because they do believe that, you know, their offensive line is going to uh, be strong enough to really get the run game going, and I think they know without a doubt if you get the run game going and you get, you know, linebackers and safeties and people like that, you know, creeping up, you're going to have a chance to throw play action. But uh, I haven't noticed at all that, uh, you know, I mean, I, I just watched uh, the other day he and uh, Sam were were like baseball. If you go out to an early before a major league baseball game, you'll see the, the the guys long tossing, which is one of the most fun things. I, you know, I, I I almost enjoy watching pregame more in major league baseball than anything when you can see the level of talent those guys have. And long long toss is just one of the, the you know the best things to watch. Well, they're doing that. The football guys and Max is, you know, inside the five. I guess Max was at the 50, and Sam was inside the five. And they're just long tossing it back and forth as easy as can be. But uh, it's something that Tyson Hel- Helton wants them to do. And they're making those throws with just effortless, you know. And uh, I really like that. But, no, I, I don't think he's lost anything uh, off the uh, off the long ball.
1: Um, Stephen Poway has a question or concerns with the quarterback situation as well. And he wrote, uh, he wrote a paragraph, then he has a couple premises, then an assumption, then a conclusion, then a postscript. I can't read all this, Steve. It's a little uh, too much, but I'll give you the overall gist of it. Um, he was thinking about that Matt, he was saying that Matt Fink is, is really important in this quarterback decision. And the reason he says was that in major college football, you need at least two, uh, game ready quarterbacks in case one gets one gets injured. Max Brown is a free agent because of his graduate status, so he could leave if he's not named the starter. Um, and then assuming that if if you know Darnold's named the starter and Max leaves, now Matt Fink is thrown into the situation. So needing two guys, he thinks that Matt Fink really is an important factor in this fall camp, and it, and he wants to know why do you think uh, Clay Helton waited. Until August, the name the starter. I believe it was to motivate both players to play harder during the summer conditioning period. And he says, however, if either played, uh, either either player thought about the logic of the situation, he probably came to the same conclusion that I did, and found another uh, more realistic reason to be motivated. Fight on from Steve and Poway.
2: Hmm. He's got a lot of time on his hands, I guess. Was, uh, yeah.
1: I, I tried uh, to summarize it, but here, it still was long. You know, here,
2: I, I think it was no simpler. Uh, uh no more complex, I guess is, is the way to say it, than rewarding Ma- uh, Sam Darnold for how well he played in the spring, how much he's developed, how hard he's worked. And 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 I don't see any more than that. Now, you could read into it and say, ooh, one of the reasons that you know, they're not going to do anything for two weeks is that keeps Max here for two more weeks. And, and I know people have said, and that might even include Ryan on his uh, video, uh, that well he could leave and he'd have two years eligibility somewhere but he'd only have two years eligibility if someone took him 10 days before the first game kickoff and figured out a way to get a quarterback to play because I mean, basically if he, uh, if he left then uh, I don't I mean unless some, I guess somebody you know broke a leg at a program and they didn't have a backup you know they might take you but but I can't imagine. You know, even though he might be a free agent. And the other thing is, you got to get admitted to graduate school, and another program to transfer. And I, I'm probably talking about this more than I, you know, should for what I think it's uh, uh, it matters. Uh, but uh, but no, I, I just think really they were rewarding uh, Sam, and saying to other guys on this team, that's the way we want you to compete. Way to go, uh, you know, and saying that there's competition at lots of places. And when you look at four running backs and you look at uh, three tight ends and you look at maybe ten offensive linemen, uh, two centers, four guards, maybe four tackles who really might have a chance to, you know, start, uh, I think that's what they're saying to people is, uh, you know, come in here and compete the way Sam did and we'll pay attention to you. And I don't know that it's anything more than that. You make a point, it would be very hard to go into a season if uh, if Matt Fink is your backup quarterback. Yeah, there's, just, there's no question about that. That would be a factor, yeah.
1: All right. Um, thanks for that one, Steve. Let's go to Tarek. Uh, his questions are a lot more concise. We like Tarek's questions. Uh, do you think Quentin Powell's size will affect him against teams like Alabama and Stanford.
2: Yeah, I think they might help him because they're going to hide him behind the defensive tackles and they're going to try to run him through gaps and get him there before the big old, you know, guys in the, in the offensive line can pick him up. I mean, that's what, you know, it's not going to be last year where they're going to say, I'm going to stand here, come here and squash me. Uh, that ain't, that's not happening. Uh, so, that's one of the reasons you see guys like uh, Quentin and John Houston uh, being considered. And this is Clancy, you know, he's coaching those inside guys and Clancy has an idea about what he's going to do with them. And it, it, he likes it uh, that they they play at that size because of their speed. And because of the fact that he thinks he's going to make it really difficult for offensive linemen to pick those guys up. Uh, are the chances that they're going to be standing there and uh, at the snap and and just reacting and and reading? I doubt it. I think at the snap they're going to be flying, and you know it'll be a case of you know can some 300 and you know 30 pound guy uh, catch up with them? Uh, so that's the theme. I think the theme is they're going to use their size and their speed to their advantage. You can only do that if your goal is. To play defense on the other side of the ball. So that's where they think they might have an advantage with those guys, getting them to the other side of the line of scrimmage before that big, you know, offensive lineman can pick them up.
1: All right. Uh, let's see. We have those were kind of the, the fall camp and USC football questions. We have a couple other ones like do, having to deal with the overall athletic program in the Pac 12. So maybe before we jump into those, was there any other thoughts or insights, Dan, you wanted to share about, you know, upcoming fall camp for USC?
2: No, I, one off-topic, slightly off-topic fall camp that has been in uh, kind of, you know, a topic here in the last week or so is is the Coliseum, and what are they going to do with the redesign, redevelopment, and all of that, and we've figured out some things about the financing and where this might go and what have you, and, and Hopefully, some it might not be to the war room, but we're trying to we're figuring out some ways that USC can go a different direction. Okay, I I probably maybe accepted a little bit too uh, easily the thought that they're pretty much locked in. Turns out they're not, uh, not in the way that that we thought they were to this new building, this new tower they call it, Uh, exactly the way they've got it. Set up so we're just uh, just as a tip that uh, we might might be you know at first we didn't think we maybe could have some uh, effect on uh, USC which at times seems like they're in sort of an impervious bubble to outside uh, outside you know uh, people trying to you know impact uh, you know what's going on but there may be a chance so I'll just say keep your heads up you know heads up and uh, think that maybe the you know the coliseum isn't necessarily signed sealed and delivered the way uh the way it's been presented that's all I can say right now
1: all right interesting um and we do want to try we I emailed Dan we had a question that they wanted to hear from someone in the athletic department about the coliseum so we're going to try to set something like that up and get someone to come on the podcast and kind of share their thoughts on the other side of why they want to go in this direction. When well, some,
2: we might want to hold up on that for a little while because if, if we can make this work, maybe we'll all end up on the same side.
1: Oh, all right.
2: I just, just, uh, just a heads up.
1: Okay. So a little heads up there. And then we had a question I got text to me, Dan, and I thought I'd share this before we jump into these other topics from someone you know, Gerard Martinez. When I started the show, He actually called and i couldn't answer because we were you know obviously recording the podcast but i texted him and um he's putting together like i mentioned at the top of the show our fall camp central page which will have all of the uh it'll have the schedule it'll have all the kind of information with the rosters and everything our scholarship chart but also every video every photo gallery every story that we write on fall camp and all the previews it'll be on one page so you can just go to fall camp central and and check out all the stuff but Part of that, he's putting in the schedule for practice and he's texting me like, are they not doing any two a days? Like, what's going on here? And my understanding, maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong, is that they'll do like, on the two day practices, it'll be like a walkthrough in the morning and then a regular practice in the afternoon. No, no days where you're practicing and, you know, pads twice in one day. And, uh, and Ger- Gerard's comment was, hmm. Uh, didn't learn anything from the ball practices, huh? so I don't know. Maybe get your thoughts on the practice well, schedule.
2: Well, I first noticed when I went down, I started counting down because Clay very specifically said after the first eighteen practices, we got we've got the break, and that's when we're going to announce the quarterbacks and the depth chart. So I started counting, and it hit me, hey, there's only fourteen practices till the break, and I thought, what what's going on? So I immediately Uh, emailed, uh, Tim Tesalone and said, What's the deal here? Clay said there's 18 practices. Uh, I can only count 14. And Tim said, What's hap- this year they're not going to list when they have a morning practice. Uh, you know, this- this, it's kind of a glorified walkthrough. Probably not in pads and won't be open. It won't be a practice, practice where. Anybody comes to watch. No media, no public, no nothing. It's just practicing for the practice. So, uh, and and it will be brief and I think they basically said none of them even an hour in length. So there still are, I technically, and they will count them, uh, you know, on their, on their list of practices, you know, where you, you know, for the NCAA and all that. But they won't be technically practices as we consider the other practices. So yeah, that's a uh, Gerard picked it up. Yeah, as soon as anybody kind of looks at that, that list, you realize, wait a minute, the two a days are gone, and four practices seem to be missing. So there, there will be four mornings where they actually do a little bit. I mean, I, for example, there was one weekend where there was no practice Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. I think it was, it was Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and I said. There's no way, and I asked him this. I said they can't possibly take off three straight days. He said, no no, no they're 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 going to have a walk through uh I guess at the end of camp and before they move in you know to their uh you know uh, housing for the fall semester, but uh, uh he said, yeah, they'll have you know one of those days they're going to have kind of a practice, but it's not exactly a practice, so anyway. Well good uh good pickup by Gerard
1: any concern there, Dan? Because I mean, he made a kind of a joke about the lack of practices going leading into the bowl game, and obviously USC s e didn't play very well against Wisconsin down in San Diego. Um, it looks like it's a similar sort of approach uh during fall camp.
2: yeah, I don't see that. The, uh the bad news uh, you know during the uh is basically they t- they took off a whole week. Uh, for the bowl practice, and they barely took half their practices. Was it seven out of the 15? Something like that. And that was unfortunately mimicking what they had done two years before when, when Clay took over, when Ed left, and uh, I think they had just six practices for the Las Vegas Bowl. But that was a team with a lot of seniors, a lot of guys who had played a lot of minutes. That was the defense where they had just 12 guys played, in the game, you know, where they beat Stanford and all that. And that was a team that needed uh, some time off, I think. It was, a, you know, a veteran team in a lot of places. And they were playing a Fresno State team that just was a little out of its class athletically. And they showed up fresh and ready to play. And they were just, you know, a step quicker every place, you know, than Fresno was. Unfortunately, with Wisconsin, they needed to be tougher. They needed to be physically ready to play. And I think they sent the wrong message to the team that, hey, you're better than Wisconsin. Well, they probably were in terms of individual talent. Uh, but Wisconsin showed up ready to play. They had been physical the whole time. And they came out there and they did what they do. And USC, you know, laid an egg. And one has to hope that that is a really good learning lesson. Now, if you look at what's happened in the spring and summer, I thought they were really physical in the spring. I think they've been much more serious about weight and, con- weights and conditioning. They do. They go five days a week now instead of four. Uh, they work. Uh, those, you know, we don't. are not allowed to watch them, but from what you can tell when you see them finish up, they do. They are working a lot harder, you know, in the conditioning and the team runs, and then they do a lot more running and all the 11-on-11 11 11 that they do, uh, and they're going, you know, an hour, and then they're still going, you know, after a 100 plays, and guys aren't leaving the field. Uh, so it looks like they are physically, you know, in a far better place than they've been. Uh, and so, uh, and I I think, you know, on those two-a-days, they're still going to have them. We're just not going to be there. And, you know, when we were there before, they were kind of waste i mean you know you just can't go hard two practices in the same day and get much done in the in the second practice so I think what their you know plan is that the first practice sets up the second practice and that they you know intend to get more out of those second practices i mean we'll know more when we get into it, but uh everything that they have done to this point uh with guys like you know the two line coaches, Neil Calloway and Kenichi, Udagi, are, are, are physical, no nonsense guys. I mean, they do so many more drills. For example, uh, the time off between drills, uh, in terms of individual reps, there are there just isn't any. Uh, you know, you just don't see guys, you know, taking their time and, and resting. Uh, and it looks like, for example, when they're on the sledge or going one on one or whatever. They get way more reps uh, with this group of coaches than they did in the past. So, so I'm not. I mean, it's a consideration. You have to say, did you, did you, you know, did you really learn that lesson from the Holiday Bowl? And it's a question worth asking. I don't know that the schedule gives you any sense uh, that that wasn't a lesson learned. The week off, I thought, for the Holiday Bowl was an absolute uh disaster. I, I just think that's the kind of thing you can't come back from. It sent a message that we're good enough to take a week off and you know, you're getting reports out of Madison, Wisconsin that they're out there hitting and USC you know, taking the week off. That was a bad that was a bad move and a bad decision. But uh but I think, you know, what's happening this uh this August is not a continuation of that.
1: All right. Uh, Thanks, Gerard, for that. Question. <laughs> yeah. Unintentional question for the podcast. Um, Earl in West L.A. He said last week you said something to the effect that if USC moved to the Big 12, UCLA would not follow them as they would have Los Angeles all to themselves. Can you clarify what you mean by that? I thought about that and I could not see how the status quo would change as they would still be the other school in town. USC would still play six games in the Coliseum and possibly get more national TV exposure as a result of the move. So what exactly did you mean, Earl and West L.A.?
2: Well, UCLA, you know, if you did that, let's say just USC did it on their own, they they were offered such a good deal with the Big 12 or whatever, UCLA would still have, you know, the and it would depend on how USC's schedule played out, but UCLA would still have all those traditional Pac-12, you know, rivals. They'd still have the Oregon game and the Cal game and the Stanford game and, and those kinds of things, you know, whereas maybe USC is playing Texas Tech or something. Uh, it, it might just be your, you know, God forbid, Kansas, you know. So that might be one of those things where UCLA might say, you know, it would be smart, you know, it would be, behoove us to stay in if USC goes. And it doesn't necessarily say that would be a really bad thing for USC, uh, you know, playing Texas and Oklahoma and Schools like that, um, but uh, but you would almost think that you would want to cover yourself if you if you make a move like that. And the way you might do that is by you know taking others with you. I mean, to me, the ideal thing if this ever happens is a uh, pack eight and the western half of a Pac-12, Big-12 merger where you get, you know, the Big-12 puts up maybe eight. Although I don't know that the Big-12's got eight, that you'd really want to be the, like the eastern division of that super conference. Uh, so maybe do you have Colorado go back to their, you know, Big-8 roots? And go back and, 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 and be part of the eastern part of that, uh, you know, that, that conference or, or Colorado and Utah. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but, but I could see if I'm UCLA and thinking USC moving, then we'll stay here and try to cultivate, you know, LA as a, uh, as a pack, whatever the conference number would be at that point in time. Um, so, and I don't anticipate that. That would be the kind of thing USC would do as, as a solo kind of a deal. But I'd like to see USC explore what are the opportunities and what's going to happen when inevitably it would sure seem there are going to be four 16 team super conferences and team, you know, 16 team conferences that have two divisions of eight teams each. And when those conferences play for their championship, in effect, that first round game will be the champion, will be, uh, an 18 playoff. I mean, basically each of those super conferences is going to have a championship game, uh, between the two division winners. And those four games will produce the four teams for the college football playoff. But they'll also, in effect, be a, that'll be an 18 playoff. Uh, with each, uh, you know, each conference having the first playoff game in the conference, I think that's how it's going to evolve. And you would like to see USC take a real leadership position in in uh, framing how that all develops, so that it develops the best possible way uh, for USC. And
1: speaking of developing the best possible way for USC, we kind of harp on uh, the Pac-12 quite a bit larry scott and what he's done um we have reggie from seattle right in who's kind of defending uh what what larry scott's doing i'm going to read what he it's kind of long i'll read what he says and get your thoughts dan he said i've been listening to the recent chatter about what usc should do regarding its standing in the pac-12 and how the pac-12 has declined but no one's mentioned what Lynn or larry scott have planned why isn't anyone taking these questions directly to the sources uh, Larry Scott appears to be a reasonably intelligent guy. And if you listen to all of the recent chatter, one would assume that he was a complete idiot, that he, has, that he isn't aware of the current state of the Pac-12 and that he doesn't understand TV deals. And finally, that he's doing nothing to remedy the situation. Same thing goes for USC and Lin Swan. Why not set up a meeting or request an interview or both to get the facts firsthand? I have to believe USC and the Pac-12 are both very much aware of where they stand and contrary to popular belief are not just sitting on their asses waiting for the other shoe to drop. My final thought on the subject is it reminds me of a situation where an NBA or NFL player signs a record contract, and then the very next year another player signs a contract that makes the first deal look silly. Does that player then go back and negotiate uh, their original contract just because someone else signs a bigger deal? They often try, and the Pac-12 could do the same, but at some point you just have to live with the deal you signed or sign a deal where you will always be the highest paid in the league uh, or player. I mean, come on. No one's complaining about the Pac-12 deal when it was signed. Actually, we were. Uh, common sense would tell you the future deals would be greater. It's just how it's done. That's Reggie in Seattle.
2: Uh, Reggie, the problem is, uh, how many guys in the NBA signed 12-year deals? You don't hear that. It, it, nobody's that stupid. Pac-12 signed a 12-year deal. During the time of the Pac-12 deal, which they can't renegotiate, the Big Ten will have signed three new deals and rocketed past the Pac-12. Uh, that's part of the problem, okay? That just was a rookie mistake. Uh, and, the, you know, everybody said, wow, they got Fox and ESPN to jump in and go together. And Fox and ESPN couldn't believe how good a deal this was going to be in terms of the 12 years and the outer years. Uh, which is why it's gone from first to, eh, you know, fighting in there for fourth and maybe on its way to fifth. So if all those people who were, you know, saluting Larry Scott and the PAC 12 when they got the best deal, what do they say when they might have the worst deal? And other conferences are making all kinds of intermediate progress um uh, and at least trying to, for example, we know the Big 12 missed out a year ago on, uh, on the college football playoffs, not this immediate past year, but the year before. And they moved heaven and earth to make sure that didn't happen again. When you ask Larry Scott about that, uh, you know, that the Pac 12 missed last year and gonna miss, uh, according to all the pundits again this year, Larry says, well, if that happens, I asked this. I asked him directly at Media Day this question: If it happens five or six years, we may have to take a look at it. Wait a minute, five or six years? You know what the other Power Five conferences would do if they miss out five or six years? Uh, it's those kinds of comments uh, from people who have been in meetings with the Pac-12 top people in the Pac-12. They tell you that there is not an apparent awareness of what the heck's going on or that there's a denial or they will tell you things like they don't want to hear from other people with other thoughts. Larry Scott, for example, uh, according to people who would know, basically has gone around. All the athletic directors in the league, and has gone, unfortunately, to the presidents who maybe aren't up as much as they ought to be, and maybe that's the athletic directors' fault at each of the schools that they don't have the presidents paying enough attention to them. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to be able to work much longer. But right now, uh, there's no way you can get Larry Scott to. And uh, I tried. I mean, we sat. I sat there at lunch and. Really, try. There were only like eight or ten people there, and tried every way. You couldn't get him to talk numbers. Yeah, I can't get him to. He just says things like, "Oh, we're going to have enough resources in the Pac-12." He won't talk about, you know, the resources uh, vis-a-vis, you know, say the Big Ten is going to have fifty million dollars per team, you know, more than the Pac-12 uh, annually. Uh, I mean, excuse me, uh, $50 million over the next, say, five or six years uh, with this new TV contract that each one of their schools will be $50 million for the good compared to the comparable PAC-12 school. <clears throat> and you think no one has been able to get them to talk about this. I think what's happening right now with Lynn Swan, this might be a little bit too soon to hit Lynn Swan with this because I think from everything I'm hearing, Lynn is really trying to get up to speed on all of these kinds of things. I mean, I had, I had a chance to ask him a little bit about it and you can tell he gets a look on his face like, Hmm, that's something I've got to get to know about. But it's not one of those things that I don't, you know, I don't think he thinks he's to the point where he can come in and say, we've got to do this. We've got to change that. This is it. You know, I think there's, you know, there's kind of got to be a little period, you know, where he just, you know, figures this all out. And um, I think, you know, the people at USC are really kind of interested, as we are, as to what is Lynn really thinking. And, And I don't think that's become, you know, real clear yet. So what I would say to you is he's probably not going to tell us before he tells the people at USC. And he hasn't told them yet in terms of how I think it's just still, this is a learning experience for Lynn. Uh, but uh, but that's going to happen in the, you know, not too distant future, but we're going to give him a little bit of a, you know, a, a breathing spell for a month or so to, to try to, you know, figure out where does this all go? Because, you know, the USC athletic director has a big part in uh, maybe helping direct the uh, Pac-12 to a path that it has to start going down, and it's uh, not going to be easy. I just saw the uh, AC. Oh no, excuse me. The Big 12, in terms of expanding, okay, uh, and they made a decision recently. They need to go from 10 teams to 12, and they have a clause in their contract which says that if they add one or two teams, they will get an additional comparable amount of TV money for those two teams. So they figured out hey we'll bring in a couple of new teams they'll be new so they won't we won't give them as much of a share of the league's TV revenue but the ESPN and Fox will have to give us the agreed upon uh, additional amount whether it's 40 million dollars per new team and we'll keep some of that for ourselves and give those new teams some of that and apparently, uh, ESPN and Fox are saying, no way. You bring in a couple of non-Power 5 conference teams, say like a Houston, a Cincinnati, a Central Florida, a Boise State, and we're not going to pay you what that contract says. The contract assumes that that would be another Power 5 team. If you bring in these teams that aren't Power 5 conference teams, We're not going to give you the money. Now, the contract says they will. They're now anticipating that if that happens, there may be a court case involved here because the networks don't want to pay Power 5 conference money for teams that you expand with that aren't Power 5 teams. So there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, ESPN and Fox are not, you know, they're losing. I mean, ESPN, I guess, has lost 6 million customers. Uh, over the last, uh, you know, few years. So they don't have, you know, all the money in the world to throw around. So they're not just giving it away easily. So uh, that's why I think, you know, conferences are really going to have to have everything lined up to get this done, you know, correctly. Uh, and uh, I know it's so important for the Pac-12 to, you know, to figure this out, you know, correctly. But uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. There are a lot of, you know, moving parts. And for the Pac-12 to be stuck in a 12-year contract with no way of increasing the revenues and no way of making the TV, uh, the Pac-12's own network, uh, produce any more revenue the way it has for the SEC and the Big Ten, the pac is kind of stuck. And a lot of that, you know, the people who, you know, lauded Larry at the beginning, I think, Larry deserves some of the blame, uh, you know, at this point. And, uh, we'll see if he, he comes up with an answer, but to this point for everything that's been asked, he hasn't come up with a plan. Uh, just the idea that, Oh, by earning, by owning all the media rights and, and all of that kind of thing, the pact, well, someday this is all going to pay off, but someday hasn't happened yet. And, uh, uh, I think people are starting to wonder if it ever will uh, the way uh, this is going.
1: All right, Dan, we got one last one. Hopefully, Reggie liked your answer for that one. Uh, thanks, okay. Reggie, for writing in. Um, <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, it's not a it's not the greatest situation right now for the Pac-12. but anybody who says, "Oh, that's just the way it is," uh, is not seeing reality because the Big Ten, uh, you know, the Big Ten has figured out some things. The SEC has obviously figured out some things. The ACC and the Big 12, they've all done some things in recent years. Uh, the Pac-12, not so much. Yeah. And Larry Scott's has. the
1: highest-paid commissioner, and the pac is going the wrong direction. So the, the criticism's justified, in my opinion. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we got one last one for you, Dan. This is our buddy Dan, uh, USC class of 1962. Uh, thanks, as always, for the great insights about USC athletics, especially the football program. USC has always been a leader in all college sports, especially football, baseball, track, tennis, and swimming. However, with scholarship reductions by the NCAA for all sports, USC as a private school has been particularly hurt. We can't even feel the complete full scholarship team in track and field, baseball, and swimming. What is USC doing to get scholarship increases for the spring sports programs? Thanks and fight on, Dan.
2: You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I know I, I we talked to Pat about this at times, and I don't know. I think you know they were you know, working on making sure that the women's rowing team was 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 working properly and uh, uh, you know with resources, and then uh, adding the you know women's lacrosse and that kind of thing. So I don't know that there was that emphasis. Uh, yeah, obviously the baseball scholarship situation is just ridiculous. Uh, the track and field scholarship situation for a private school with a very high tuition that doesn't have kind of a blanket scholarship situation say stanford where every uh student uh with a family income of under a hundred thousand dollars basically is you know is on scholarship uh usc doesn't have that doesn't have the you know the same kind of endowment doesn't have the kind of scholarship program so uh you know again, there aren't that many schools that are in that position, you know, Northwestern, uh, Notre Dame, you know, Tulane, Vanderbilt, uh, you know, not a great deal of, you know, those schools uh, are in that kind of a mix. So it's kind of one of those things where nobody feels sorry for them. I'm guaranteed if they voted in Southern California of the five or six schools with really good baseball programs, I doubt you'd get any of them to vote to increase scholarships that would probably benefit USC more than it would any of them. However, with all that being said, I don't know if you saw the story today that we put up on the, on the off USC leads all universities with 43 athletes who are uh, going to the Rio Olympics. Uh, I think Cal has 41, uh, Stanford, maybe 39 UCLA, I think is, fifth with 36, uh, something, or no. not UCLA might be fourth, I, I, but four of the five are, are packed well, but USC has the most Olympian of any school in America going to, the, going to Rio. So even with the difficulty in scholarships, USC has, has somehow, you know, worked their way through this. Uh, a lot of those, I think 20 of them are uh, representing uh, uh, foreign countries. So USC being an international school has helped a lot. But, yeah, that would be a great thing if, if Lin Swan would, uh, uh, you know, champion the idea of some fairness uh, for uh, private schools. Uh, and, and, and sports that just jump out at you are uh, uh, baseball and track and field. They just, you can't possibly field either one, a full roster in either sport. Uh, with the numbers uh, of scholarships that they give you now uh, at the top competitive level, so uh, so I'd like to see him see him push that one hard.
1: All right. Well, thanks for that question, and uh, everyone else, thanks for writing in all the questions. We got a lot of good ones today for Dan. We went about an hour or so, but um, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Dan, thanks for coming on and uh, sharing your insights. Uh, next week when we talk, we'll be able to talk about practice.
2: Yeah, wow, and I think next Tuesday uh, to bring up a sore spot is the first day off of practice. Oh, <laughs> ah. <laughs> no practice next Tuesday, I believe.
1: Just so we, that's a schedule. good day to do the podcast, then. We'll we'll uh, yeah, recharge. Yeah. Her.
2: So tell Gerard to <laughs> not to send up any uh, you know negative signals yet.
1: Okay. You know, <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, well,
2: yeah. Okay. That that's
1: great. <laughs> sweet. Well, thanks, Dan. Uh, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate that. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Like I said, thanks to our sponsor, Mac Weldon. Uh, definitely go to MacWeldon.com, use the offer code peristyle and you'll get 20% off your order and then email me. Let me know if you like it or not. Hopefully you do. I'm sure you will. Uh, I love it. So, uh, thanks to, to Mac Weldon. Thanks to Dan Weber. Thanks to all of you for listening to the peristyle podcast. We're going to try to do one or two more shows this week, maybe two. We'll see. Uh, before fall camp starts. So thanks again for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.
0: State transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at That's Michael Moline Real Estate dot com. That's Michael M O L I N E Real Estate.com.